Why don't you grab your Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter four, as we continue verse by verse through the Bible. Um, Like I said, Wednesday night, we'll look at chapter four. Um, We take a look here at Daniel chapter four. Um, We're gonna look at the very last phrase of what King Nebuchadnezzar has to say. Um, Interesting, Uh, famous last words. Um, It's interesting, one of the famous last words I remember hearing uh, a story back in 1985, it was um, Jose Cubero, his words, Pablo, this bull has killed me. What was that all about? Well, back in Spain, you know, they, they, the bullfighting was kind of like their, their Super Bowl of Spain. You know, they were into bullfighting. Of course, PETA's not too into bullfighting. But, um, but, you know, one of the Spain's most brilliant matadors, he was very famous. By the age of 21, he was already, already the guy, the bullfighter that everybody loved. And he, you know, out there with his fancy little duds and out there, you know, doing his thing. And, and you know, they stick these swords into the bull. Um, you're like, that's so horrible. Yeah, but every time you have a snake, that's kind of what happens. But anyway, um, uh, but anyway, all that to say, you know, um, 21-year-old, you know, Matador had been, been enjoying a spectacular career when he makes a tragic mistake um, he thrusts the sword through as he's dancing around the bull and doing all this thing, thrusts the sword in and the bull just drops and the crowd goes wild and he turns around with his fancy clothes and he's waving to the crowd. Well, he didn't know, unbeknownst to the guy, the bull stood, stood back up and with its very sharpened horn, stuck him through, right through the heart and killed him instantly. Um, it was a horrifying event there in Spain um, and, and I remember when, you know, hearing about that when I was younger, but um, you know, the thing that I, you know, some of the pictures you can see, and they're even on you know, Google if you look them up, um, you, you see there's this sort of, that's one of the things about bullfighting, it's so much of a flair and, and kind of a pride involved to see such a horrible ending. Well, it sort of reminds me of that scripture in the Bible that said, pride goeth before what? Half of you got it right, half of you got it wrong. And I'd like to pridefully tell you that I know the truth about this scripture. Um, <laughs> it's, that's part of my message today is how slippery pride and humility really is. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We'll talk about that in a minute. Well, that's this guy as he's saying, look at me, I did this. The bull comes up and sticks him through. And just as when we turn to accept the congratulations of the crowd, pride stabs us in the back. That's what pride does. Um, there's kind of a thing that you and I should remember about pride, um, you know, and you can write this one down. We should never consider pride dead until we are. Learn from the bullfighter. You should never believe that pride in your life or your tendency for pride is dead until we're dead because pride is one of the deadly sins and you think you've got it handled and once you do think you've got it handled, you've lost it. Be careful about this one. This is the, the lesson that we're gonna learn here in Daniel chapter four from a guy who is about as prideful as it gets in the Bible at least. Maybe the only one who is more prideful than this king, King Nebuchadnezzar, might just be Satan himself. That was Satan's downfall. Lucifer, the most glorious of all of God's creation, was lifted up with pride. Thus he was hurled down from heaven and ultimately will end up in uh, the lake of fire where there's eternal you know, torment. That's the pride of Satan. And, and, and so, you know, pride is one of the most satanic kind of things out there. 
But Nebuchadnezzar, now, now before we get into this, some of you might say, Brett, you know, this story of Daniel, I can relate to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, but this king, you know, king, what, what do we have to do with a king? You know, how can we relate to a king? Well, I find myself relating to Nebuchadnezzar maybe more than even Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or the Babylonians or any of those guys. Why do we relate? Because you and I, we live like kings and queens. I hope you understand that. You know, I'll bet that if Nebuchadnezzar, if you guys switched places historically, if Nebi moved into your house today and you moved into his house, I bet your house is more comfy than his. I mean, we've got so many luxuries and things that we have in our houses, microwaves, and you know, I, I can open my garage door with my iPhone. Like, that's amazing. I love that, that technology. Um, uh, now, uh, the thing is you say, uh, well, Nebi, he, you know, he was powerful. Well, we also have our own little kingdoms where we work, our homes, the things we do and friends that we have and, and we have our own little thing, you know? And, and I, I think that there's some similarities. Now, much of the world lives in great poverty. You and I, largely, we live in great luxury. And that's, that's very much like Nebuchadnezzar. But one of the things about being blessed as we are, we can start walking around thinking that we've done pretty good for ourselves. You know, and, and we even start to boast if we're not careful. Look what I have done with my life. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at the, you know, the wealth that I've accumulated, the car that I drive, the house I live in. And we can, we can become lifted up with pride. And that's the problem here with Nebuchadnezzar. There's been this progression that we've been seeing as we've been studying the first chapters of Daniel. You know, it starts in Daniel chapter one where Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm gonna cram these Jewish boys into the Babylonian way. Remember the assimilation attempt. But Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't, wouldn't do it. And the king had to learn, oh, there's these kids that actually have conviction and they worship some other God, whatever. And that was chapter one. Chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has a troubling dream. Can't remember the dream. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And he basically says, you know, somebody's got to interpret it. If you don't interpret it, I'm going to chop you up into pieces and make your house's piles of manure. And finally, Daniel comes with the Lord's answer to Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And just a quick reminder, he has this dream of a statue, head of gold, arms of silver, belly of brass, legs of iron, feet, part iron, part clay. And we talked about all those kingdoms that it would represent. But Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, represented by the golden head of the statue, but a stone that was cut without hands would roll down the mountain and smash the kingdoms of the world into pieces, which speaks of Jesus and his everlasting kingdom that would be coming. Which the implication of the dream, Nebuchadnezzar is gonna be part of that group that's gonna be smashed. Well, we don't hear from Nebi for like 23 years and then we get to chapter three of the book of Daniel. And what do we see Nebi doing? Making a statue of all gold, not gold, silver, bronze, you know, iron and iron and clay just a solid gold statue. Most scholars believe it was probably a statue of himself. And he said, when the music plays, you'll bow down and worship the image that I have set up. And we saw that last week with Rakshak and Benny, unwilling to, to you know, bend down and bow down before this king and his statue. But do you sense that this king has a little bit of pride making a statue of himself and then the people worship the image that I have set up? Uh, man, this guy's starting to be pretty crazy level narcissist. You know, the hubris is overwhelming in Nebuchadnezzar. But in chapter four, it reaches a feverish pitch, the pride and arrogance of a king. And we see another dream that we're gonna see Daniel interpret, but it's gonna have some grave implications for King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And Daniel, we're gonna see him on Wednesday night. He's gonna have this, it's amazing that Daniel seems to care about King Nebuchadnezzar. And he even says, oh, king, break off your sins. Care for the, the poor. Like do good things instead of all this bad stuff you've done and break off your, have you ever known someone that's so engrossed in their sins that you just wanna come and say, stop, just stop, because you see the destruction that's coming. Well, that's the situation with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar, we will see on Wednesday night, will not listen to Daniel's words of wisdom. And so about a year after that, Nebuchadnezzar strolling through Babylon in his palace going, is not, he's speaking to himself because uh, he doesn't have any friends. So you don't think a guy that's going around poking people's eyes out and frying them on barbecues and chopping into pieces, throwing them in a fiery furnace. You don't have too many friends when you're that guy. So he's just walking around Babylon. Is not this Babylon the glorious city that I have made for my might and my power and for my majesty? Wait a minute now, uh, this is crazy, crazy talk. He's talking about his own majesty. Now, if you're talking about how you're a person that's majestic, then you might wanna kinda tone it down just a little bit. By the way, I, the true story, I had lunch with a guy, this is quite a few years back, but we had a guy sit, that used to sit right back in the back row back here, and, um, and I, I recognized him as a guy, because I'd been to Africa several times, and I, I knew that the clothes that he wore, I, I almost knew like even the region of Africa he was from. And, uh, but I was always, you know, I'd say hi to him and stuff, but, but we, we ended up having lunch one day and we were talking and uh, I said, so what's your name? And he said, my name's Mojo. And, he, and I said, that's short for something you probably won't be able to pronounce. I said, okay, great. Well, what are you doing here? Well, I'm, I'm getting my second PhD. Wow, okay. Uh, what do you do when you're back in Africa? And he said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a king. I was like, oh, the old Nigerian, uh, you know, scam where the guy's gonna, if you send your money, you know, I'm like, okay. Uh, but no, he, he, he said, no, I'm legitimately a king. And he, and he pulls out some pictures out of his, you know, on his phone and he says, see, here's when I was crowned back in, you know, this 1990, whatever. And sure enough, he's, he's there with 100,000 people in a big square and CNN's reporters are all there and he's there being crowned as the king because in Nigeria, there's four quadrants. He was the king of the Delta quadrant. I'm like, wow, you're like a real king. He's like, yes, I am. I said, like, do people call you your majesty? And he said, yes, they do. <laughs> like, I've never met anybody that has literally your majesty as a title. Um, but he says, you know, and, and we, we, we became good friends, but he said, you know, that stuff is nothing. And he said, you know, I, he said, when I started coming to Athey Creek, I really didn't like you, Pastor Brett. That's what he said. <laughs> He had a very different worldview and he was very kind of even mad. And it was his daughter that dragged him to church every Sunday. But he sat in this church for seven years. And the more he got to know, not that what Pastor Brett was saying, but the more he started saying, wow, look what the Bible has to say. And he ended up accepting the Lord, becoming a Christian, went back to Nigeria after he got his second PhD and started to rule as king over the Delta region of Nigeria. Um, and he's, he was there for quite a few years doing that until he recently went home to be with the Lord. He's in heaven now. But, but it was weird meeting a guy who literally people call your majesty. Uh, and, and he didn't like that. He wasn't saying, yeah, call me your majesty, but that's just what they did. Nebuchadnezzar's at this place where he's saying to himself, is not this Babylon that I have set up for my might and my majesty? 
Like this guy's, he's wacko. Totally lifted up with pride and arrogance. And, and, and so what happens? Well, this is where the Bible, this is a crazy story. Because after he says that, look at my kingdom, talking to himself, suddenly the Lord of heaven speaks from heaven to Nebuchadnezzar, a voice coming down and says, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is taken from you right now. And at that moment, Nebuchadnezzar goes literally marbles. He loses his mind. He goes nuts. He, he is, is, you know, thoughts were taken from him and suddenly he's acting and becoming like an animal. The Bible says that he even grows his fingernails to be like claws and he's scratching and, and, he, and he's got his hair, even on his body starts to kind of mat and become like feathers and, he, and he, he's acting like an animal. By the way, there's a, a condition called boanthropy that is a, a condition where people start acting like animals and they've seen this throughout history. Whether it was a biological condition like that or just some supernatural sort of curse that God puts on this prideful, arrogant uh, king uh, but whatever it is, he's now, we find him out in the field chewing the cud with the cows. I mean, what a scene. Can you imagine being a Babylonian and seeing your king out there doing that? You know, like we were talking last week, you know, people would be riding by in their little donkey and they're like, who's that guy out there with those cows? Oh, that's our former king. And he's looking at you. It's like, wow, what a step down from Mr. Majesty to suddenly moo, but that's the situation. But after, it seems, seven years go by of him being out as a wild man, out in the woods or in the field with the animals, suddenly, boom, his understanding returns to his brain. And he, can you imagine you're out there just chewing the cut and all of a sudden, ding, suddenly you're back to your old self and you're like, what's that smell? Oh, it's me. And you kind of stand up and you dust yourself off and you start kind of walking back to the palace after seven years. What do you do at that point? Well, as it turns out, Nebuchadnezzar comes back an extremely changed man. And we're gonna read what he says. It's really radical what, what he says. He's gonna sound like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Nebuchadnezzar ends his life as a believer in the one true God and he understands that all men are like nothing before him. Like he goes from I'm full of majesty to I'm nothing. And he, he kind of concludes with this radical statement of who the God of Israel really is. And, and it's for that statement, I believe we're gonna see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven someday when we get there. But it's the very last phrase that he says here, I think is something that we should think through and meditate on on this Sunday morning and learn from the king. You can either learn out in the field with the cows or you can learn here in the sanctuary with God's people. That's up to you, up to me. So what was the last phrase, the famous last words of King Nebuchadnezzar recorded, at least in history? It's the last phrase of Daniel chapter four, verse 37. Let's take a look. Daniel 4, 37 is our text. It's not even a full verse, just the last few words. It says, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. 10 words that he ends his life and goes down in history. One of the most powerful kings that ever lived says, those who walk in pride, he, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jehovah, the true one and only true and living God, he is able to abase. Those who walk in pride, 
he is able to abase. Man, this idea of pride is such a, a hard one and it's such a downfall of humanity and, and this, this word is such a good reminder to you and to me because we all have that natural flow. Gravity pulls you and me and our, our inner person to be prideful. And you may not even be prideful externally. You might even have an appearance of humility, but there's even a more dangerous, subtle form of pride that can be in your heart, where you might not say outwardly, you're a low life and I'm so much better than you, but in your heart, you might be thinking that. I'm better than those people. I deserve more than them. And we're lifted up with pride. And it's like Nebuchadnezzar going, look at my majesty. That can happen in our own hearts. And so we see that pride is, is something that the Bible warns about over and over again and, and warns us away from pride and toward humility. And it's such a hard thing. Let's break this down into just, just three simple considerations. First of all, let's take a look at the problem of pride. Um, it is a problem. It's a problem because it's as human nature, but it's also, it's not just an individual thing, it's a national thing. Nations were lifted up with pride, and even the Bible talks about that, nations that were lifted up with pride. And, and, and the question is, how are we as Americans, just asking us a question nationally, you know, we sing the song, I'm proud to be an American. Is that, is that a, a bad thing to be a proud American? Well, it just depends. I thought it was a little comical last night. Um, I, I was told after the service last night, I think it was the four o'clock service, um, a bunch of the proud boys were here at church and I was doing a sermon on pride. Just thought it was funny, a little, <laughs> little, little ironic. Uh, that, that just cracked me up a little. Uh, I didn't know they were here, uh, but, the, but, but um, they probably thought I did the sermon just for them. Um, but, but no, uh, interesting. That, how are we as Americans? Well, the problem is in America, nationally, we have become very prideful. There's, the, the whole world sort of looks at America uh, in a different way. And if you've traveled around the world a lot, you'll realize that a lot of people don't like Americans because we carry ourselves differently than a lot of the rest of the world. There's a pride and an arrogance that is there, whether we want to admit it or not. Listen to what this great American said. He said, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own, intoxicated with unbroken success. We have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and persevering grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. Who said that? As it turns out, it was Abraham Lincoln way back in 1863. Man, if that was true in 1863, how much truer is that today? What a powerful statement and a great observation. Can I point out, on the, there's a holiday that you and I don't even know existed, but it did. It was a holiday in the United States years ago called the National Day of Fasting, Humiliation, and Prayer. Can you imagine having that national day today? Uh, you know, well, we have a day of prayer. Well, Christians have a day of prayer, but this was a national day of prayer, humiliation, 
it was like a day to say, let's be humble and pray and, and fast. And on, on that day, the president of the United States made these remarks, how true they are even today as they were back then. We have to be careful, you know, nationally. And, and I kind of wonder if some of the things we've been through in the last, well, even the last couple of weeks, let alone the last, you know, 50 years, you know, the pulling out of Saigon was humbling enough. But the pullout of Afghanistan has shown us perhaps one of the most embarrassing, humbling times in, in the United States history. I mean, it's, it's, it's all sides of the aisle, uh, both sides, and uh, you know, kind of like, yeah, we pretty much blew that. And now the world is looking at the United States and some are mocking. Did you guys see the news? Uh, actually today, the Taliban took over kind of a last corner of um, Kabul and a bunch of the, the soldiers, um, this is horrible. They, the, a bunch of the soldiers were celebrating. So they shot their, uh, I was gonna say AK-47s, but probably M16s. Um, uh, they were firing them in the air. 17 people died from the bullets that fell down. That's crazy. Did you hear the news on that? Like uh, I was in Jordan one time when they were having a wedding and uh, I, was, I was hitting the sack in my hotel room and all of a sudden, ta -ta 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 -ta, I heard outside the door, I thought, oh great, something's going on. And I looked out the window and there was a wedding on the building roof next to my hotel in Jordan there in Amman. And uh, they were celebrating shooting their AK-47s and bullets. They, they, you know, and, and the problem is they just a couple years ago outlawed that in the country of Jordan because too many people were dying from the bullets falling from the sky celebrating shooting. Um, I don't know why I'm telling you all this stuff. Um, oh yeah, pulling out of Afghanistan. The nations of the world are like saying, yeah, you can't trust the United States any longer. They're a horrible ally. They'll leave you, they'll turn and run. And that's, that's the embarrassment of the United States today. I wonder, is that part of God just saying, man, if you walk in pride, the Lord is gonna be able to put that nation down. It's not just a personal thing, it's a national deal. Something we should be aware of. So you got the, the problem of pride nationally, but you also have the problem with pride personally um, in your own life. And, and it's something we have to be careful about because it's destructive and it's slippery and it's tricky. See, the problem with pride is once you lose it and you know that you have humility, the, the problem is your pride creeps back in because you're so wonderfully humble. I love how Benjamin Franklin put it, speaking of old guys from old times, uh, Benjamin Franklin said this, there is perhaps no, perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases, it is still alive. Even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. <laughs> that's, that's, that's so right. Um, and it's really like, you know, what I said, it's true. Um, don't ever think your pride is dead until you're dead. That's, that's the key because pride sneaks in. Pride creeps into our lives. So the problem with pride is it's slippery and it's ugly and it's destructive. But that brings us to kind of the, the second consideration this, this morning, and that is number two, the peril in pride. The peril in pride. What does the Bible say? Pride goeth before. There, see, you got it this time, that's good. Um, but a haughty spirit before a fall. Destruction, fall. Man, the, the peril in pride is, is it's, it's brutal, but, but it's dangerous because of how it kind of creeps in. 
You know, it's almost like we can convince ourselves that what we have here on this earth and where we live and all of our abundance is something that we've done ourselves and we start to be lifted up with pride and we take credit for it. We, we need to remind ourselves that all good blessings come from God and God alone. We gotta remember, you know, God told the people in Israel uh, a, a big warning in the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, would you keep your finger here in Daniel chapter four and flip over to Deuteronomy there in the, the first five books of the Bible there, um, Deuteronomy chapter six. And there in Deuteronomy six, the Lord gives this massive somber warning um, that, that we should all take heed and listen. Uh, let's take a look. It's Deuteronomy chapter six. Uh, we'll start there in verse 10. Deuteronomy 6, 10, it says, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Man, you guys were slaves. That's all you had, the Lord is saying through Moses. Don't forget, you didn't plant those trees. You didn't build those houses. I have blessed you by my grace. Don't forget that. That's what he starts there in Deuteronomy 6. Now just turn the page, Deuteronomy chapter 8. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 10, he sort of continues with a similar argument. In Deuteronomy eight ten, he says, when thou hast eaten and are full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he has given thee. Now pause just for a second there. This is starting to touch on the remedy. Uh, what do you do when you are filled with pride? Well, one of the best things you can do is, is, is this admonition right here. When you, when you find yourself full and blessed, rather than saying like Nebuchadnezzar, look what I have done and my majesty and my power. Instead of that, say, Lord, you are full of majesty. You are powerful. You're, you're supposed to turn and worship the Lord. Bless the Lord thy God for the good land that he's given you. That's what the admonition is here. Um, by the way, uh, some of you are not worshipers. You're a Bible, you like Bible, you like theology, but you're, I don't like to sing. That's, that's kind of a mamby-pamby thing Christians do, singing to God and hey, you know what that is? That's called pride. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, for, for a person like you and for like me to come and sing songs before the Lord, that, that's kind of a humbling thing, honestly. Now, some of us have been Christians long enough to where it, it's, it can almost become not humbling. It can almost become a prideful thing again. But for many of you, lifting your hands in church, that's something you just don't do. Even though the Bible says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Um, some of you are like, yeah, I don't do that. Why? Easy answer, pride. Little prideful heart that's stuck in that little, little body of yours, just thumping away like a stone. I'm not gonna lift my hands to God. I'm not gonna sing out loud. I, I can't sing very well. Doesn't matter. Make a joyful noise. You can do that. It's a hard thing because it's pride that keeps us from saying, Lord, you receive all the glory and honor. I don't. But it's one of the greatest ways to break the prideful heart is to come and worship the Lord. That's just something that we're given right here as a freebie. Uh, he says, man, when you're in the land and you're blessed, then bless the Lord thy God. 
But then he goes on in verse 11 and gives us that warning again. Verse 11, this is Deuteronomy 8, 11. Beware lest thou, that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments, judgments, and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and are full and have built goodly houses and dwelt therein, when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up. That's pride. And, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee up forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Man, the second warning in the same book, watch out lest you be lifted up with pride. And then verse 17, let's put forward a little bit still. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 17, it says, and thou say in thy heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. Who's that sounding like? Nebuchadnezzar. My power and my majesty. Look what I have done. But here the Lord says, don't get to that place where you're saying my power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. But, verse 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be that if you do, do uh, at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Verse 20 is horrifying. As the nations which the Lord destroyed before your face, so shall you perish because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. This is the Lord warning the Jews hundreds and hundreds of years before they even go into the promised land saying, hey, when you're living fat and happy and you got the houses and you're wealthy and all that, don't forget the Lord and don't let your heart be lifted up with pride. And if you do forget the Lord and you are lifted up saying, look at my might and my power, which has built this, then you'll be like all the other nations and you will be destroyed. Quiz time, question. How did the Jews do with this admonition? I know it was hundreds of years earlier, but did they do okay? No, uh, if you've been following with us, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, the last several books we've been in um, have told us of the horrific destruction of Jerusalem and of the Jews. Why? Because they were lifted up with pride. They did not take heed to this lesson nationally. And so they ended up like all the other nations, destroyed and in captivity in Babylon. Man, if there's one thing you and I should try to do is learn from these people in the Bible so that we don't have to go through the same kinds of lessons. There are people who will walk in pride so continually and they'll not take heed that people's warnings, God's warnings, the word of God saying, well, don't walk in pride. There's some people who are just gonna say, you know what, I'm just gonna be who I am. It's just the way I'm wired. And you will end up in destruction. The Bible is not lying when it says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And man, we need to break off our sins, break off our pridefulness. You know, it's interesting because the scriptures continue in 1 Timothy talking to us about pride. There's all kinds of scripture about pride in the Bible. 1 Timothy 6, 17, charge them. That means a strong admonition. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, that's pridefulness, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. 
Man, Paul gave Timothy this charge. Why Timothy? Because Timothy was a pastor in a church called Ephesus. They were a very wealthy place. By the way, when we go to Israel, Lord willing, we're planning a trip in 2022. Uh, we'll see if things open up. Israel's just starting their fourth layer of vaccines. But we'll see what happens in 2022. We wanna we want try to get there. But one of the things we've done on some of our trips, Israel, but also when we did our Paul's missionary journey trip, we went to Ephesus. And the city of Ephesus was this amazingly wealthy town. You know, you go to the houses that are on the hill, they've, they've done archeological digs, the mosaics that were in the floors of these people's houses. They, they make our houses in Lake Oswego look like dumps. Like, I'm serious, these houses in Ephesus were amazing. And that's where Timothy, Timothy was a pastor. And, and Paul said, listen, when you're talking to all those wealthy people in Ephesus, charge them that are rich in this world not to be high-minded, um, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. This was the admonition Paul gave to Timothy. Boy, we in America, we can take this admonition because we're just like the people of Ephesus. Not only there in 1 Timothy, but also Proverbs has much to say about pride. Um, Proverbs 16, five, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. You can, you can try to be prideful if you want to, but, but, but if it's in your heart even, not even in your external behavior, but if you have pride in your heart, it's an abomination. You know, one of the things we have done in our, uh, current society is we use exaggeratory words so much that they've lost their meaning. You know, you say, man, that little puppy is awesome. Is awesome a good word for a puppy? Not cute, cuddly, but is awesome. We overuse words uh, all the time. One of those words that I think has lost its punch is an abomination. There's no stronger word the Bible could employ to talk about God's feelings about the person who has proud uh, is prideful in their heart. It says, you know, everyone that is proud in his heart is an abomination. That's a giant word of, of disapproval. God says, I am against that person. And though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. This is what the Bible says. We should be aware that the, the pride is perilous. The perils of pride. Oh, the Bible just keeps going on and on. This is the scripture I mentioned earlier. In Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But it goes on and says, better it is to be a humble of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Have you ever seen that tendency for people to pridefully choose their friends to make sure they're hanging out with the cool people and hang out with the, the, the people that are also pride, prideful and arrogant and wealthy and and and. You know, isn't it interesting that Jesus hung out with the publicans and the sinners? The Pharisees would always try to hang out with people that would sort of further their career. Paul says, man, I was schooled under the tutelage of Gamaliel, the Pharisee of all Pharisees. And that was the way it was. It was who you were linked to, who you were related to. And it was all about that. But Jesus said, yeah, whatever. I'm gonna hang out with the lowly. That's one of the things that a prideful heart does is tries to further themselves by choosing the the, the, the lofty, that's the people we hang out, good looking, wealthy, healthy. Mm. Well, pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall, and better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly. Well, 
Also, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians, now this is interesting, we, we, the last scripture, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, wherefore let him that thinks he stand, stands take heed lest he fall. That's one of the problems with pride. You think you're standing in your pride and everything's going along really well until you get gored by the bullhorn. Um, that's what happens. It's a funny thing. I had this lesson way too practically. The Lord showed me this lesson once painfully, practically. Um, I was teaching in a high school study that I just, the, 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 this high school group, I was asked to come and try to sort of bring it back into sort of a, it wasn't doing great. And so they asked me to take it over. And I took over this high school ministry years and years ago. And we had, it was really a cool thing. And it was, it was neat. The Lord was blessing it. And, you know, we turned this old biker bar where the guy was murdered and stuff. We turned it into a, a coffee shop. And it was cool, and this old building, this neat coffee shop, and, and we'd had our high school group in there, like a couple hundred kids, and ha it was just awesome. Kids, we had these talented kids leading worship. I was teaching, the place was packed out, and I remember just thinking, you know, I've done a pretty good job here. And I was, I was honestly, I wasn't acting like that outwardly, but in my heart, there was, a, there was a little pride, and you wanna know how I know that that was happening because of what happened next. Uh, as I was there getting, you know, just, ready to share a little bit more in the word. The kids were finishing up their song and worship. Um, and I was sort of thinking how wonderful things were. And I, I was, uh, I, I, had, I, I was sitting on a stool just like this and I hooked my foot behind the rung of the stool like this. And I was just, I'd sat there for quite a while like that just for some reason, but I'd forgotten that my foot was behind the rung. So when it came time to, I was gonna grab the microphone and do some adjusting. So I reached out and I was gonna step out like this and grab the microphone. Well, what I did is I, I went to step out, but my foot was hooked and I just kind of kept going. And it was like slow motion, no, it was, I'm not kidding. All the kids are there watching me stunned as I was, you know, slow motion. And I, I was trying to save it, you know? So I was grabbing whatever I could, you know, cables, wires, microphones, you know, high school kids. And I, seriously, I took out everything within a five foot radius of myself. Everything went, went Now here's the funny thing, when I hit the floor, um, I cracked my kneecap. Um, that didn't feel very good. Um, but, but here's the truth. This, this old uh, bar that we turned into a coffee shop was built on this hillside with these, it was built on these kind of crickety old stilts. And it was not a great structure, just to say the least. But when I hit that floor, that whole building just went, like, like, like 4.0 on the Richter scale. I'm not kidding. It, it was like an earthquake had hit this thing. And, and, and I was just laying on the floor. The kids were looking down at me like this. And, and, and then all of a sudden, the roar of laughter. Like the kids thought that was the funniest thing they ever saw. And I was just kind of getting up and very humbled. And as I was sitting down, I, I, I remember that verse, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. <laughs> I tried to recoup and I turned them into the scriptures and then kids would start going, and they all burst into laughter again. And uh, this happened like three or four times. Finally, I just dismissed them, said, okay, you guys go home. <laughs> End of the evening. Um, but man, the Lord has a way of reminding you. And, and, and the truth is he will be faithful just like he was to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom is taking them from you right now. And he's out chewing the cud with the cows. Let him that thinks he's standing beware, take heed lest he fall. This is just great reminders of what the Bible teaches about pride. One more, Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, 
but honor shall uphold the humble um, in spirit. Man, the Bible has tons of scriptures about pride and humility, but uh, those are some of my favorites and good reminders for us. And that leads us to the final last section, the, the perfect answer to pride. I already gave you a hint of one of the remedies is to worship the Lord, be a worshiper. We saw that in Deuteronomy. Man, don't, don't be prideful about where you live and what you have and your wealth and your power and your might, but, but give glory to God. Worship is a good thing, but, but even zeroing in better to perhaps the per- perfect answer, um, I'm just gonna say it this way, the cross. The cross, the cross, the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is the answer to pridefulness. And I'll tell you why. When you look at the cross of Jesus and realize what Jesus did for you, it's really difficult in my humble opinion to to be prideful looking at the cross of Jesus. Because when you realize what Jesus did, here's God who becomes a man, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, and he dies on the cross for my sins. And when I look at what Jesus did for me, it makes me to feel like, oh, I, I, I can relate to Paul the apostle when he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But I thank Jesus Christ. That, that's what Paul says. Um, you know, it, when you stand at the foot of the cross and look at what Jesus has done, bleeding, dying, nailed, whipped, beaten, when you look at what Jesus did, it, it's that old amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's hard to think, you know, I'm pretty amazing as you're standing at the foot of the cross as blood was flowing. You, you can't really do that. So it's important, it's imperative for you and me to be people who constantly look to the cross of Jesus Christ. So rather than boasting about, look what we've done, we realize, oh, without him, I could do nothing. And if it wasn't for Christ on the cross, I deserve, what I really deserve is eternal death and hell. But praise be to Jesus who's merciful and gracious, long-suffering and compassionate, who died on the cross for my sins. And the more I look to the cross, the more I'll, I'll have a better view of myself as knowing that I'm a forgiven sinner and that's the only good reason good things happen to me. The only good thing that happened to me is only because, I should say, because of the cross of Jesus Christ. By the way, the Bible tells you and me there's something we can boast about Uh, Do you wanna know what the Bible gives you permission to boast about? It's not being American. Um, It's actually, you get to boast about this. It's Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the, the mighty man or the strong man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this. This is what you get to glory about or boast in, if you would. Some of the translations even say boast. It says you can boast in this, let him boast that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. If there's one thing you can boast in, it's not, hey, I'm a Christian and I became a Christian. Nope, that's boasting in yourself. But you can say, I, I, do, I boast in this. I know the one who saved me. I know the one and I understand what his truth is. Know and understand that he's the Lord which exercises loving kindness and judgment and righteousness. That's the one thing we get to boast in, that we know the Lord. Other than that, nothing is boastworthy according to the Bible. 
James chapter four, verse 10, kind of teaches the same thing in a short word. Humble yourself, where? In the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. That's the best place to be humbled is in the sight of the Lord. Um, that is, you know, when you realize my position in Christ, when I look to the cross and in the sight, if you would, of the cross, I can say I'm humbled because I know the sinner that I really am. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And then guess what? The Lord will lift you up in his time according to his plan. So you can really bring your pride and just lay it down at the foot of the cross and remember that you're a wretched, miserable sinner and that Jesus saved you from your sins. And there's only one thing we can boast. We know him. And the more we know him and know what he's done for us, then it'll keep us in the right mind and it'll keep us in a humble place. My prayer is that this will be a little bit of a splash of cold water, a spiritual splash this morning, just a reminder of all the good things you have, not to be false, oh, it's not, it's not me, it's the Lord, not the false humility thing, but a real deep-seated humility in our hearts, knowing that we don't deserve any good thing and that God has been gracious nationally, that we go back to the old you know, hymn, um, America, the beautiful God shed his grace on thee. That's the only reason the United States has ever been anything good, ever, is because God has been gracious to us, not, not because of our ingenuity or our smarts or our bravery or courage. Nope, God's been gracious. And the same thing's true personally. We need to be humble before the Lord. Learn from Nebuchadnezzar the king. You can learn out with the cows, or you can learn with the congregation. That's the question, what are you gonna do? Lord, I pray that you'd help us with this. Um, we admit the, the tendency, even those of us that try to be humble publicly, but we know that temptation to swell up with pride in our own hearts and the evil that's lurking within human nature, Lord. We, we admit our failures in this. But our desire, Lord, is to be truly humble before you. Um, I pray that we'd be worshipers of you, remembering where every good and perfect gift comes from. Lord, may you put in our hearts a, a, a humility that's real and lasting. I pray that Athey Creek as a church would be a humble church. Lord, we, we know that this church isn't better than any other church or we don't boast in what we do or anything like that. The only thing we boast about, Lord, as we know you. And you've been gracious to a bunch of sinners like us. That's the only thing we boast in. But Lord, I pray that, that in our humility, that, that Lord, we just give you glory for everything that you've done for us. You've been so good to us. We bless you and we honor your holy name. Lord, if there be anyone who's not accepted the work of the cross and is not a Christian yet, we know that pride is the very thing that keeps us from that salvation that you wanna give. I pray for people that are watching online right now or people that are here in the congregation, Lord, as they're maybe lifted up with pride thinking that they can be good enough to get to heaven. Lord, you tell us that even our best works are like filthy rags. So I pray that you'd humble even the unsaved that they might know their need for your beautiful gospel of salvation that you died on the cross for our sins, that you rose up from the grave, that they would repent of their sins and turn to you for forgiveness. Lord, I pray your blessing upon on those people that they would accept you and be saved even today, Lord, by confession with the mouth 
and belief in the heart. So Lord, as we go our way, help us not to forget this sermon, but to be cognizant of it all week long. May we be aware of those areas of pride that need to be pushed down. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.